Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. You're not alone in having a hard time choosing snacks for your little ones when on the go. A large proportion of parents believe that the food available when out and about just isn't nutritious for kids. Yo Valley have taken this on board and have now launched their little Yo pouches. Not only are these squeezy yogurts easy for kids to eat, they are made with British organic milk, real organic fruit purees and live cultures. These are bursting with flavor and a good source of nutrition for your little ones. Available in two delicious flavors, there's the red berries and the apple and pear, the little Yo's pouches are sure to keep children satisfied and full. To find out more, head to yovalley.co.uk and find it in your local supermarkets. Hello and thank you so much for tuning in to this week's Food for Thought, a podcast that's on a mission to equip you with all the evidence-based advice that you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, registered nutritionist, best-selling author of Renourish, A Simple Way to Eat Well, and founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic. In each episode, I'll be joined by special guests, all of whom can be considered authoritative voices in health, so that together we can learn fact from fiction and empower the healthiest and happiest versions of ourselves with trusted expert advice. Given the bleak outcome of most diet efforts, we must ask ourselves, do we really understand why we're going on a diet or why we eat the way we do? People eat for all kinds of real reasons and they're rarely just stress or comfort, they're more powerful and psychologically deep reasons. This week's Food for Thought sees consultant psychiatrist Sarah Voyer and I go beyond the quick diet fix as we look to truly understand our relationship with food. Hello, Sarah. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Oh no, the pleasure I think is definitely all ours. This is a topic that um, I've wanted to do on Food for Thought for such a long time and I've always thought must get Sarah on on the podcast because, I mean, would would you say that it's only once you understand the science of eating you can really, I guess, re-engineer the way you think about food? That's what most people would probably want to know to start. I think there are so many factors that affect how we eat and the way we eat and even how we think about food. Um, Like you say, the science or the biological factors, but also things like our childhood experiences, families' attitudes to foods, social pressures. And that's even before we get on to social media and the impact of modern day marketing. Yeah, I know. That's... (laughs) It is powerful stuff, actually. We definitely have to discuss that in a bit, I think, um, when it comes to social media as well. But if we go back to really your kind of main area with with, with what you do as well, let's start from childhood early on. I mean, 
how important do you think um, family meal times are and, and do, do they actually shape the way that we then go on to eat as adults? I think this is something that I'm learning a lot more about actually since I've had my little girl. Um, so not even in a professional capacity, but also from a personal capacity. Because if we think back to when we were you know, sort of babies or children, actually we have an innate sense of fullness, hunger. And when I sort of watch my daughter, she's five, she just roams freely into the kitchen, grabs something when she fancies it, stops when she's full. Mm. And then I think there's a combination of factors that mean that that seemingly goes out of the window for some of us um, as we are faced with sort of peer pressures, our family's attitudes to food. You know, I grew up in a household where my mum was um, a housewife. So actually, I vividly remember that family mealtimes were a real occasion, that we weren't allowed to watch TV, that we would all sit around the table. And I think with this modern busy life we underestimate how important that is because actually children you know beyond sort of that innate ability to eat and to honor hunger and fullness cues they look to parents to model food behaviors so if mm. you've got a a parent that's a particularly fussy eater or a parent that's demonizing certain foods then children are very impressionable they will pick up on that and I think it's really important that actually having family meal times, having everyone sat around the table demonstrating how we eat, eating a wide variety of foods, certainly is something that's going to be of benefit to children growing up. Absolutely. I mean, it's almost as if the, the invention of TV dinners played, played a role, I guess, in the sense of cutting out the, the community aspect or the family um, emphasis at having time together to celebrate food and enjoy it because like you said parents can definitely instill their own approach to food on us can't they that you know the way they see food absolutely it, it normalizes eating it normalizes eating together it's an opportunity for parents to model intuitive eating like i said a, a variety of foods you know if, if my daughter never the difficulty at the moment is the modern modern day living is it's so fast paced it's incredibly busy my daughter's in a household with two working parents so i know that my husband often finishes late so i make a real effort to try and eat with my daughter although it's often an anti-social hour and i'd probably prefer to eat a bit later and, and to eat with my husband i think it's really important for her to see that as a parent i also eat and i eat and enjoy a wide variety of foods and it's also an opportunity to catch up you know on on the business of our days and what we've been up to and i think when it comes to the weekends when we are able to be together we really make an effort and this is something that i encourage a lot of the young people that i see in clinic and families to really make an effort if you are busy in the week to sit down at the weekend whether it's all having breakfast together or having a takeaway on a Saturday night, whatever it may be, but to really make an event around food. Oh, yes. that's. I mean, it's such a lovely way to look at it as well. And you're right, we live such busy and hectic lives, but we all have to eat. And that's the crux there. That's that's the, the reason that we can all try and get this practice into place. And I, I think also one thing that we see in the clinic a lot is unfortunately, um, like you said, 
parents not eating because they're on a diet or they're on a different way of eating to the children. And that doesn't always set a good example because I know weaning my son currently that you may think he doesn't want more, but the minute I put his spoon in my mouth and I eat the same food, he will then take more. It's classic role modeling, isn't it? If the parent does it and they, they see the child sees the parent enjoying it, they're more likely to eat in a more, um, I'd say intuitive way, aren't they? A hundred percent. Yeah, I think role modeling is is such an important aspect, but also the importance of knowing and honoring hunger cues, like you said. So getting a child to eat everything on the plate is something I grew up with, you know, the whole you can't have dessert unless you finish your dinner. Now, practice around that has definitely changed in the nutrition world. I was wondering what your thoughts on that old um, kind of messaging is. I think very much like you so when i was growing up that was certainly the narrative that was pushed that we had to clear our plate particularly if we were going to other people's houses that it's rude not to finish what you know what's on your plate and i think what that can can do really fundamentally is invalidate so those innate fullness and, and hunger cues so you know if my daughter turns around to me and says mummy i'm full actually, who am I to turn around and say, no, no, keep eating, you've got to finish your plate, every scrap of it. <laughs> and I think that's something that even if I go far as back for when um, my daughter was born, those first few months, clearly, you know, when she was feeding, it was very much led by her and, 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 and feeding was halted by her. Um, so we all have that innate ability. So I think it's important as parents to not sort of invalidate our our children's experiences around food and I think certainly for me that's something that's still instilled in me now mm. I have to finish my plate so it does have I think lasting um I want to say consequences strong word but it does have a lasting impact I suppose on our relationship with food um, as we get older and yeah. I find this really difficult to um tackle from a personal perspective because I'm finding myself trying not to recreate patterns <laughs> from my own childhood because I don't want my daughter to have that um, yeah. lack of trust in herself around around food. I know and then there's also the line of well nobody's perfect and we can't always be perfect but you but we have to think of these things that we need to raise this conversation because one of the things I remember and I still have to talk to myself about and a lot of my clients do the same is that food is a reward or a punishment and I would I vividly have memories I'm sure all of our listeners do yourself included of if you didn't eat your vegetables you know you wouldn't get dessert or if you did well at school you would get to have an ice cream or or something um food related and in my ted talk i spoke about this a lot the fact that our food world is created by these kind of food rules that that we have set in place at such a young age i mean food shouldn't really be always a reward or a punishment should it Absolutely. And again, growing up, that's something that I've certainly mm. faced, that idea that unless I finish my plate, then I'm not going to have any pudding. Or if I've shown good behaviour, then we go outside and we have a treat and, and we have an ice cream. And I think there's, there's nothing wrong with, you know, having food as a reward. Um, you know, on occasion, you know, I'll, you know, frequently take my daughter out for an ice cream or, or something nice to eat. But I suppose it's, how often that is repeated and if that's the only mode of reward and punishment so actually making sure that there's a balance between 
sort of food users reward but also non-food um rewards as well so you know if you finish your meal then we'll go out and we'll have a run around in the park or we'll go to that that toy shop that you like and pick out some stickers or whatever it may be but we know that actually when we um use food as reward so for instance if you say to a child i'm you're going to have pudding but only if you finish your vegetables what research has found is actually that makes vegetables or makes them more likely rather to avoid vegetables and makes them less palatable mm. so it kind of has that paradoxical effect so i think it you know trying to steer away from rewarding more palatable foods for consumption of what is perceived as less palatable foods is probably something best to be avoided that's so interesting and gosh that rung true to me there because of course it's painting vegetables out to be this awful thing that we just have to get in you um it's it's often and there's a lot of research that um we were looking at that um eating disorders as well in children are more likely to occur if the parents had an eating disorder and that's something i found really fascinating because i guess it's it's is it behavior cues that perhaps a child would see or is there also a biological link there do you know there's so there's no single factor that would you know cause an eating disorder mm. um in in a child that you know, there's several factors you know you mentioned sort of biological factors um we know that certainly in in twin studies that um, there's a higher tendency for if, if one identical twin has an eating disorder that the other will have an eating disorder as well. Um, it's still early days in terms of us being able to say solely that there's a genetic cause for an eating disorder, but there's a, a multitude of factors. And you mentioned there thinking about kind of parental attitudes to food. And we know that mothers who diet or who have body shape or weight issues and fathers who make comments about weight and shape can precipitate girls with sort of body image um, difficulties. So that's that's information that we do know. But mm. as so far as a sort of a single cause for an eating disorder, you know, there's a combination of factors. And that's even before we get on to things like peer pressure or mm. bullying, teasing, you know, the, or, or even trauma. So there's, there's several factors that may mean that it predisposes someone to developing an eating disorder. Yeah, which is very, very important to highlight because, as Sarah said, yeah, there's definitely not one um, one single factor there. There's a multitude of um, things it could it could be, and that that's the thing. And I guess we all have positive and negative connections, don't we, with um, with food as well. And what about the emotional links with food? Because different flavors. I know that um, nostalgia plays a role with me, and if I'm going to, I don't know, a pub for a Sunday roast, there's that amazing warming type of smell and it instantly makes me feel relaxed. How, how do they develop? How do we get those incredible connections um, with food? I think in much the same way as something is like music or a sense, I think, you know, food or tastes and flavours can take us back to a particular memory or a particular time. I'm someone I grew up in a Middle Eastern household, so both my parents are Middle Eastern. So I find that I'm constantly feeling very nostalgic that I gravitate more towards sort of Arabic and, and Middle Eastern restaurants because they remind me of home, you know, and, mm. and in the current climate, you know, as we're recording, um, we're in the midst of um, the coronavirus pandemic. 
I find myself leaning more towards those foods because they remind me of home that there that is that sort of comfort they they evoke such strong memories for me as well yeah it makes it makes perfect sense and that's why I do tend to say that food if people are turning to food in a time where they're experiencing difficult emotions that's actually okay it's nothing to be ashamed of and it's actually a very clever way of coping I think that that and something that we have a resource that we can tap into and it's only when it becomes becomes chronic or an ongoing way of punishment that it, it it could become quite dangerous I would say so I'd really urge our listeners not to beat themselves up if they're feeling that way because it's actually I think it was Orbach's hunger theory which takes me back to studying but um I do believe there were 10 different emotions listed as to why we would go to food so you'd eat if you were angry or you'd eat if you were sad or happy or excited or for celebrations like there's, there's so many reasons why emotions are, are definitely linked to food and it's not the food that necessarily makes you feel happy it it can often be just covering up the issues I guess though can't it that are making you unhappy if that makes sense I think you sort of hit the nail on the head in terms of actually food often can be a center point for celebratory occasions or moments of commiseration. Um, and there's absolutely nothing wrong. And, and I know that I'm guilty of it too, that if, if I'm feeling low, that often the first thing I'll do is, is rummage through the drawers and see what sweet treat that I can find. But I think often what I'll do alongside that is, is, is question actually, what am I really feeling and, and where has this feeling down come from and stem from and thinking about other coping strategies alongside the food to try and, and lift my mood. Yeah, I guess it's that feeling versus fact equation, like how you're feeling doesn't always make things factual in the moment. And often, sometimes I always ask myself, and we do this as well in clinic, I'd say right now, yes, I could eat this um, chocolate bar and I, I could do it anyway, but will it take away what's actually happened? <laughs> no, it won't. I need to still address the underlying issue. Um, it's only a temporary kind of um, mask and that's all right. But when, if you're looking to food to solve it, it definitely, it definitely won't. I think the language, Sarah, that's out there and this, if we go into social media a little bit and the imagery that can be associated with food, that can have such a huge impact, can't it? Like, like labelling foods good or bad, for instance. Yeah, I think actually ascribing those sort of moral labels can be really quite damaging because if you think, you know, about foods as being good or bad, and if you're consuming sort of the bad food, which stereotypically tends to be things like sort of junk foods, um, crisps, chocolates, or, or whatever it may be, if you're consuming a large quantity of that, then you inherently fit, take on that identity of I'm being bad or I'm being naughty. And, and demonising those foods uh, can actually, in the long run, make you feel quite guilty when you do consume them. And we know that that guilt can um, lead to overconsumption, binging, and, and set up sort of binge restrict cycles where, okay, I've been bad or I've been naughty, for a couple of days, I've got to be good, I've got to get back on it. Um, and then when we have a moment of weakness, and I say that sort of very loosely, then again, it triggers that that binge cycle um, once more. So I think kind of coming back to sort of the, the best bit of advice I could give to parents of young children 
is really not labeling foods and, and not demonizing food and really encouraging a wide variety of foods. Because I think the moment that we ascribe uh, sort of moral labels to food, it, it can be quite difficult to undo, particularly if those messages are repeated and strengthened. And I've only got to think back to my own childhood um, when I, I know as a young child, I, I struggled with my weight and the, the way that my parents handled that was that I think overnight our crisp and chocolate drawer literally disappeared mm. and there was no word of warning and there was a lot of use around the words naughty or treat once in a while and that stuck with me and I, <laughs> I'm a 35 year old woman and, and that still has stuck with me and I have to be so careful that I'm not passing that down to my daughter's generation where actually she has free reign of the kitchen she has access to those sort of stereotypically bad foods that i was taught but were bad growing up but actually i have to trust that she knows and can honor when she's full or when she you know fancies um a, a bit more than average or whatever it may be um so i think actually trying to to shy away from um ascribing those sort of moral labels is is hugely important that's also why I have such a problem with certain social media areas and people trying to prescribe a one-size-fits-all approach. Or I'll use carbohydrates as, as an as example now. You know, carbs have been stated by even some medical professionals in different countries as the answer to why we have an obesity um, problem, let's say, or... Um, problems with our health because of one whole food group and that is misinformation unfortunately and it's not going to be true for everyone so it is it's so damaging I think when we do put these labels on food it just it just confuses everybody and and it also confuses parents of how to have these dis discussions with their children because then they're probably going online and seeing something different to what their mum and dad is saying at home I mean what, what do you think um we can do in terms of setting boundaries maybe um, around the way we eat or the way we discuss food. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I think, like I said, first and foremost is, is trying to move away from labeling food as good or bad. Again, you, you've hit the nail on the head in terms of the confusing messages that there are online because even if we go back sort of 10 15 years ago when 
fat was being demonized and actually we were finding that actually a lot of these low fat foods were just pumped full of sugar and then now then we went through the phase where actually fat was was hailed as something that we should be eating more of it's so difficult uh, when there are so many conflicting messages and all i would encourage is that trying as far as possible to make meal times a sort of family event you know appreciate that actually Monday to Friday for a lot of people if you're working shift patterns that may not always be possible but where you are in the house at the same time making an effort to sit around the table to catch up on the day and to make food the focus point encouraging a variety of foods um, and actually trusting that your child will know when they're full I think the thing that's confused or does confuse children growing up is just the conflicting messages yeah and um, I think the best thing that you can do is sort of model sort of healthy attitudes to food encouraging a wide variety of foods if you're worried that actually that they are accessing content online that they shouldn't be because although Instagram and and other social media platforms have an age limit of 13 um, in, in most cases actually I know for a fact that there are younger children accessing that information so actually being very astute as to what your child is accessing online can be really helpful and not shying away from difficult conversations so if you do have a, a, a case where your child is coming to you and is querying whether the food that they're eating is is not healthy is not bad then it's again it's just coming back to that message around moderation eating a wide variety of foods and that no food is inherently good or bad for you yeah and I mean just to add on add on to that it's there's so many positive changes that can be had at home and role modeling again we're gonna, I think we're going to keep coming back to this one but the way we discuss it amongst ourselves the way we talk about it the way we cook our food um you know cooking from scratch at home and making it fun and just creating positive associations can be super duper helpful for any family out there or any child growing up because work has changed as well in the pandemic more people are working from home and I think this has also created another level of change in the way that perhaps we see food would you agree yeah absolutely I think in the first few months of the pandemic there were um, a lot there's a lot on social media around people perhaps seeking comfort from fruit food mm. um people using it as an opportunity to to get fit and actually if you're someone that is vulnerable to that information online so as an example if you're feeling very down on yourself you're feeling that or you've got body weight and shape concerns logging onto social media and seeing someone who is slating um sort of a, a shape that you identify with or who is demonizing certain foods or demonizing people who turn to food at times of stress um, or discomfort can be really quite damaging because it can fuel feelings of inadequacy it can fuel those feelings of guilt even further and again it comes back to what you're saying before is that actually in those moments it's actually being self-compassionate you know who would have thought this time last year that we would be in the midst of a global mm. pandemic mm. and actually if it is that you are seeking 
comfort from food or actually food is a center point whether or not it's you know for me and my husband it's it's sharing a chocolate bar and watching a good movie actually Mm. yeah so be it but I suppose it's thinking about that alongside other coping strategies so you know if you are sharing a chocolate bar encouraging conversations about how you're feeling regularly checking in with family members if you know that they're struggling so actually having food as part of sort of a more wider network of coping strategies I think can be helpful oh a hundred percent coping strategies are just so important for everyone and often I don't think we realize unless we're lucky enough to have access to a health a health professional uh, like yourself Sarah it's difficult for everyone because we don't sometimes know how best to tap into what we need and um, how we're feeling and I mean, if I can add a positive spin on on the whole situation this year, it is the fact that we may have a little bit more time, well, for most people, to cook from scratch. And that's actually something that I was seeing a huge problem with in clinic because we were all running around like crazy. We're spending a fortune on meals on the go. And yeah, that's okay. But there's something about getting back to basics and knowing what goes in your food, cooking, getting more variety in your food, because we have not seen a resurgence in cooking at home like this in years, have we? Yeah, no, I completely agree with you because I'm I know I'm guilty of it myself that I'm often eating in between appointments or eating in the car on the way to work. And again, coming back to that point around modelling, that for me, I'm trying to insist that my daughter sits at the table and has a breakfast and, and there's me running around shoveling food into my mouth. And I think actually what the last few months has taught me is, is really, and for a lot of people, is to slow down, is to enjoy food sitting down to experiment in the kitchen in a way that we perhaps wouldn't have had time to before. So I think really holding on to those positives and hopefully encouraging lasting change as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's um, one positive spin we can definitely put on on it, getting the diversity in as a nation, getting that going. But also maybe, I guess sometimes, there's the argument that perhaps we've become more picky now that there is such an abundance of food that we have in this country as well. Maybe we've lost an appreciation for that fact as well. I think I certainly feel it when I walk into a supermarket and you're just overwhelmed by the choice that there is available. Um, But despite that, I find myself coming back to the same, you know, handful of meals. And actually there's, you know, an abundance of resources online um but i suppose it, it comes back to you, sort of your personal individual tastes and, and family tastes and making sure that if you are thinking about what to eat that it, again it's a you know it's a family decision the you catering for everyone's tastes and and everyone's preferences i think to trying to avoid becoming overwhelmed by choice and and thinking actually well, you know, what do i fancy what 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 would be nice to eat today or for the rest of the week? And I think for me in particular, planning ahead has been really very helpful rather than going into the supermarket or shopping online without without a plan. I think that can often make you feel quite overwhelmed. Oh, 100%. And then you're bombarded with offers left, right and centre. And it just becomes, it can be a very stressful experience. I think food in general has such huge, huge emotional connections at the moment that everybody's experiencing. And let's think about um, creating for the first time 
something, so you've said writing a list, but something to try and make food become a bit more positive about a change in the way we eat. Is there something that, that we can do? Is it maybe perhaps deep breathing work at home before making that list? Is it getting people involved as a family maybe or friends talking about it a bit more as a positive thing? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, c- certainly for a lot of people that I spoke to in, in the early stages um, of say, the lockdown period is called recipe sharing ideas or talking about um, or getting kids excited about trying different foods, different vegetables. Um, I think some of the supermarkets do this very well where they have kind of their sort of five or six top fruit and veg um, and actually being experimental and you know picking up a, a fruit and veg that you wouldn't normally eat and using that as an opportunity to do a bit of research and making it fun um, and that's something that I've certainly learned in the last few years when I'm introducing my daughter to a wide variety of foods is picking something that I know that she wouldn't necessarily pick up off the shelf but then looking up a recipe and, and making it together and making a real event of it um, I know from personal experience, one of the things that I struggle with is when I've been at work all day and I get through the door and I've got to feed three mouths and, mm, yeah. <laughs> and the pressure that that creates um, can be quite overwhelming. So I find actually the night before making a bit of a list and thinking, okay, what time am I, am I going to get in? How long do I want to spend preparing a food? Are there ways that I can get the rest of the family involved in preparing the veg, you know, cutting it up or whatever it may be, and not feeling that I have to be a martyr and that I have to be seen to be doing it all myself? Yeah, yeah, no, that's really, really good, good advice there. And I'm sure you are one of many people that feel like that at the end of the day. When you walk through the door, you're just absolutely exhausted. Um, and sometimes it can be good to actually share how you feel and ask for help and talking of asking for help we've got lots of questions from our listeners for you today Sarah and the first one is from Anna um one that I could relate to she said I'm becoming a worrier and this is something that I'm trying to manage but I feel it's impacted my food habits is it easy to reverse this now she hasn't gone into any more depth that's all I've got there from the question I think worry is a huge emotion for us all at the moment and even people that have just said prior to the pandemic that they didn't experience any mental health difficulties have found actually the last few months particularly difficult for them and has heightened feelings of anxiety and worry. I've got a really, really simple exercise, which is thinking about how we manage worry. So as an example, ahead of us recording this podcast, I was worried that I didn't have a link. So I could either have worried ruminated about that kept myself up all night thinking i'm never going to have the opportunity to sit down and record this with re or i can turn that worry into a problem that i can solve by emailing the relevant person and getting the link so instantly rather than allow that worry to run away with me i've simply turned it into a problem that i can solve thank you for that sarah because that's that's very useful it's also answered diana's question but we have one from carol here Carol has said I'm concerned about my daughter's approach to food this has been since the outbreak of Covid how much of an impact could this be having on her? So I suppose it's it's thinking about what's changed from her baseline so we've all got 
baseline or patterns of behavior so what is it that your daughter normally enjoys eating um, and and when did you recognize the change and, and and trying to invite a conversation around that i think would be helpful because i think often what we almost doubt that sort of intuition and certainly that mother's intuition i think you know it's, it's a gut instinct for a reason and I think often the conversation itself can feel quite difficult and quite challenging. So what I'd always encourage is if you are talking to a young person, is something called face fear. Mm -hmm. So having a face-to-face -face conversation wherever possible, being attentive. So inviting her to, to share with you how she's feeling. So sort of generally asking how she is. Being calm, because I can imagine that's such a frightening experience and you're gonna be consumed by worry, but trying to keep your emotions in check and avoid those spilling over because that can sometimes impact how open a young person is with us. I'm sure that will have helped so many, so many concerned parents out there. Um, really, really useful information. Thank you. Um, that does lead me on to our fact or fiction round of the podcast. Are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> they say now, just you wait. <laughs> okay, here we go. Um, number one. Being restrictive is sustainable. That's fiction. Routine with food can help you be calm and happy. Fact. Sleeping badly will make you crave sweet and fatty foods. Fact. Managing what you eat is easier if you have lots of variety on your plate. Fact. You need willpower to be healthy. Fiction. If you exercise, you will eat healthier. Fiction. Women more than men use food to de-stress. Oh, it's so <laughs> difficult. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna say fiction, because I think it's probably that men are less open about it. Yeah, it tends to be the way, isn't it? Um, most people have some kind of disordered eating habit. Ooh. Oh, these are tricky, aren't they? <laughs> They are tricky, that's the whole point. <laughs> um, I think that, I'm, so, I'm going to say fiction, because I think we all have kind of, we may have quirks that don't necessarily impact our ability to enjoy our, our food. So I'll say, I'll say fiction. <laughs> um, health professionals always take their own advice. Oh, no, that's fiction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't we know it? Um, knowledge is power. Fact. That was an excellent fact or fiction round, Sarah. Thank you. <laughs> that was very, very good. Um, but that does nearly wrap up the episode. I'm so sad about it because that was really good rant. I was actually thinking one of the questions we had then about routine, we should have touched on that actually, because do you think having a routine is a very useful thing at the moment? I think for me personally, and for the people that I see in clinic, I think routine can be hugely helpful because we are creatures of habit. And I think what for a lot of people, the last few months and, and the coronavirus pandemic has, has shown is that when we don't have control on whether or not we can commute into the office or, you know, even if we have a job, you know, a lot of people unfortunately have had experience loss of identity, loss of loved ones, and, and that can be hugely unsettling. So I, I do recommend actually trying to be prepared in, in moments where you feel that you have lost control or have that loss of routine, that that could be hugely 
it gives you a sense of motivation, a, a sense of purpose each day. Oh, thank you, Sarah. I think that's a wonderful way to actually finish today's episode because we always finish uh, with a food for thought. And I think mine today would be that it's very, very clear that we can shape our children's future um, to be a positive one with, with food. I mean, obviously, there's loads of other factors that can happen along the way, but we can definitely do our, our very best. And everyone has that unique and special relationship with food. It can be such a powerful thing if it's used effectively for your mind and your body. But I think acknowledging and being aware that it can have negative implications on our health as well, if we're not looking after ourselves in the right way or we have this voice that's speaking to us in I would say quite a cruel manner which I think a lot of us can have that inner kind of critic in our head I think slow and simple is the best approach from listening to you today and really being aware of what you're doing so Sarah if you could leave us with a take-home message a food for thought for today what would that be? I think fundamentally that this is something that's going to take practice it's going to take sort of more open honest communications within the household making food fun making food an event shying away from labels and and not feeling that you're gonna it's all gonna be achieved in one day it's it's slowly chipping away at it over time um i think you can't go far wrong oh i agree sarah I think today, because this has been a topic I've wanted to do for so long, it's been amazingly informative, but also opened up so many other questions that I, I could think of to ask you. And I just want to say thank you, because in your line of work, it's so, um, it's tough. I know what you do for a living is tough, and you put your heart and soul into it. So a big thank you from us for coming on Food for Thought. And where can our listeners go to find out more about you? Thank you so much for having me. So I tend to be on Instagram and my handle's at the Mind Medic. Oh, lovely. Well, Sarah, thank you for coming on Food for Thought. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, you'll absolutely love what's coming next week. So make sure that you click subscribe to be the first to hear it. If you have time to, we'd really appreciate it if you want to leave a review so that we can reach those higher highs in the charts and hopefully help more people. That is our mission here with this podcast. For more information about my Retrition Clinic, the books, healthy recipes, and so much more, please visit Retrition.com and follow me at Retrition on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. 